to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. I want to start off by putting a hypothetical situation before you. If you could imagine that you had a child, now some of you have children, so that's not hard to imagine, but imagine that you had a child, and that child came to you and said, you are the most wonderful parent in the world, and I want to do something special for you, and not just right now, but here's what I want to do. I want you to pick a time during the week when you've got two hours, and I just want to... I just want to be with you those two hours. I want to do whatever you want me to do. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to fix you a nice meal. I want to take care of you. You think about what you'd like me to do. Whatever you want, it's all yours for two hours. And so you set up that schedule. It's like, I I don't believe this. Is this really my child? And so whatever time you pick and your child is there, say, oh, you're the best mother. You're the best father. I love you so much. What do you want me to do? I fixed you a really nice meal and they serve you the meal. It's a really nice meal, you know. They take it away and they're cleaning it up. What do you want me to do? Two hours, whatever you want to do, I'll do it for you. And they do that. And they do it every week for two hours. How many of you would like to have a child like that? Some of you had children say, yeah, I'll take one or two of them, yeah. But then... The whole rest of the week, the whole rest of the week, they just go off and do their own thing. They act like you don't exist. You ask them to do something, they either ignore you or kind of half-heartedly maybe do it. So you're saying, well, that does describe my kids, but now we'll get behind that. So sometimes they're outright defiant, but during those two hours... You got their full attention, their full love, their full devotion, their full expressions of, of wonderfulness and whatever you want them to do. I don't know if any of you picked up on where I'm going with this, but how much might that reflect our relationship with God? We go to church on Sunday morning, and if we're extra spiritual, maybe we go to Bible study, we attend Sunday school, which in our case is on the phone. We go to men's group, women's group, or whatever, but then, and during that time, it's like, Jesus, we love you, we're here, we're surrendered, as we just sang a little while ago, and whatever you want, and then the rest of the week, we just do our own thing, forgetting the God's even there, maybe ignoring, sometimes maybe even outright defiant from what he asks of us. Now, I know that's kind of a heavy way to begin a message, but that's not my purpose here. I just want us to examine our lives. We, we started a new sermon series last week, and it's going to go for the whole month of January, so we've got a couple more weeks left. It's called A, a Lifestyle of Worship. A Lifestyle of Worship. And we introduced that last week. If you missed it, you can go back and watch it or listen to it online. But the point that we tried to make last week and we're trying to develop in this series is that worship is not just what we do on Sunday morning. Or what we do on Sunday morning and when we come to church for some other event or even our own personal devotions. All that is part of worship, but that is not what worship encompasses. Worship shouldn't be something that just happens sporadically. The definition that we put forth for worship last week is this. Worship is recognizing God's worth and showing appreciation for it. Because of who he is, he's God, and because of what he's done. Worship is recognizing God's worth and showing appreciation for it because of who he is and what he has done. So worship really is anything and everything that we do or can do to show respect, honor, and appreciation to God. As we mentioned last week, we so often, we just kind of get into the habit or maybe we've raised this way, our culture, whatever, our church background. We think of worship as what we just got done doing this morning. That time when we sing, when we clap, when we uh, play an instrument, when we have those vocal expressions, which, by the way, you guys did a phenomenal job this morning worshiping Jesus in that sense of praise and adoration. And that's exactly what that is. That's praise. That's adoration. And that can take place in other settings, too. You can do that on your own at home. Like I said last week, one of the greatest places to praise God in song is in your shower because you sound really good there. But sometimes we limit worship just to that. 
What is worship? Well, worship is when I tell God I love him, when I sing, if I can, or, or play, or, or, you know, just ex- express those words, I lift my hands, whatever. That's, that's what worship is. But that's only a small part, a very important part, but just a small part of worship. As we mentioned last week, worship is everything we do, and it includes not only that adoration, that vocal praise, but it includes our service to him, which I'm going to talk about next week. It includes our giving to him, which Pastor Jan is going to be talking about in a couple weeks from now. It includes our adoration and praise, which Pastor Nate is going to talk about in a couple weeks also. But it also includes, in fact, I would say that it has to be based on, and this is the most important aspect of worship, what I want to talk to you about today, and that is Worship is surrender. Worship is surrender. We sang about that this morning. Worship is surrender. That's what I believe Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Let's look at that. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and that includes the sisters, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some translation says, which is your reasonable worship. In other words, it's not just an emotional thing. If you really think about it, this is what needs to happen. This is what should happen. This is what makes sense to do, okay? This is your spiritual worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Surrender. These two verses describe surrender. And he says this surrender is your spiritual worship. As I said right before I read the passage, I believe that this is the most basic aspect of worship. And that it's crucial. It is... um, um, it is essential. And I would say to you that unless there's this aspect of surrender to God in worship, anything else we do in worship does not have near the meaning that it could. Because God wants me. And God wants you more than he wants your song, your playing, the words that come from your mouth the ways you may serve him, all valid expressions of worship, but he wants you first and foremost. So surrender is the very basic part of worship, the most basic element of worship. And this is important. Paul makes it clear it's important. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, to do this. Another translation I urge you. This is more than just saying, hey, this is a good suggestion. All right. Or, hey, this is something you really ought to put into practice. He says, listen, everything that's in me just tells you you need to do this. The translation says, I urge you. That word urge comes, you know, it's the same root as urgent. Urgent is, it's it's important. Do it now. I think of urgent care. When do you go to urgent care? When you desperately need medical intervention. That happened a couple weeks ago with my wife and I. Some of you heard this story in case you've been wondering why she was wearing the Band-Aid on her nose and stuff like that. Over Christmas time, we were visiting some people and a dog bit her on her nose. And I mean bit, didn't just scratch her, but mm. we were in urgent care for an hour and a half. Thank God it's healing up very, very well. But that was urgent. We had to get someplace to get that taken care of. And that's kind of the sense of what Paul's saying here. This is, he says, this is important. Don't put it off. Don't think, "Ah, I can get around to it later, or it's not that significant. This is important. I urge you. Everything in me says, listen, do this. I want to answer a couple of questions today. The second one is the most important. But first of all, why should I surrender to God? Paul says right here, because of his mercies. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. There's a therefore in there. There's an old saying among Bible scholars, Bible students, is whenever you see a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. And a therefore is always pointing back to what came before. You know, blah, 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 blah. Therefore, do this. Well, in the book of Romans, the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapters 1 through 11 is all about God's great grace and mercy toward us. Because we are all sinners separated from God. 
There's no one righteous. Not even the people that claim to follow God and to know God. God's own people were not righteous because we're born that way. We're born in sin. Our lives are dominated by sin. They're controlled by sin. That's not to say we're terrible people in the eyes of the world or or anybody. It's just that we have to wrestle with all this junk that we are in rebellion against God. But the good news is that even though there was absolutely nothing we could do about it, and what we deserved is death. You know, it's the book of Romans. We get all those verses that say we're all sinners separated from God. The wages of sin is death. But it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Paul talks all about how Jesus came and he died on the cross. His death paid the price for our sins. So if we put our trust and our hope and our faith in him, we can be forgiven. And we can have eternal life. And then Paul goes on to talk about that. Now that's the case. We need to get rid of the sin in our lives, you know. We don't need to keep living for sin. We need to live for God. Why would we want to keep the thing in us that separated us from God in the first place? In fact, if we came to God and said, God, I'm sorry of my sin. Please forgive me based on what Jesus did. The most logical thing we'd want to do is get rid of it to the best of our ability. But he goes on in Romans to talk about how much such a struggle, but that God is with us. He puts his spirit inside of us. He helps us to pray. He helps us to walk in victory. He helps us to, to, to get past all this stuff. It's a process. It's going to take a while. We're going to be working with it for the rest of our lives. But God's mercy, he loved us so much. And as Pastor Jan said just a little while ago, and she exhorted us before she prayed, God has a fantastic plan for our lives, all because of his mercy. And so Paul says, in light of all this stuff, in light of all the great mercy of God, in fact, it's so humongous, he says, all the mercies, it's really just mercy, but he makes it plural because it's so phenomenal. Because of God's mercies. We need to just surrender to him. Now, we're going to see there's another reason uh, that it makes sense for us to do this, and that's because God wants what's best for us. And we'll get to that at the end of the message today. But what I want to spend most of my time talking about is the second question. How do I surrender to God? What does that mean? You know, we sang the song a little while ago. In fact, a couple of songs that talk about God, here I am, and, you know, I surrender and, you know, all that. What does that really mean? Does it just sound good? Does it just sound spiritual? What does it mean to actually surrender to God? And we got three things that Paul talks about here that will help us to understand the surrender that God is asking for. The first one is this is dedication. Dedication. When Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That word present means you have to do it yourself. It's something you make a definite decision to do. I am going to present myself. If you decide to give a gift to somebody else, it doesn't just kind of happen. You have to plan for it. You buy the gift. You get the gift. You wrap it if you want to wrap it. You put it in the gift bag if you don't want to do all the wrappings. And you find the person and you present it to them. And so sacrificing ourselves, dedicating ourselves, presenting our bodies as living sacrifice is not something that just kind of happens as long as we go to church on a regular basis and we do this and maybe every once in a while we read our Bible and we pray and, and all those things are great things to do. But it's a definite decision. I am giving myself to God. I am dedicating myself to Him. That word present can also mean give or yield. You might say, what's this whole thing with the sacrifice thing? Well, in their day and age, in their culture, that was something they could totally easily relate to. Both the Jewish people, because of the Old Testament sacrifices that we see in the Bible that God required to lead up to Jesus to show that sin is serious. It requires the death of an animal and the shedding of blood for it to be covered over. And of course, that pointed to Jesus' death on a cross, that his death and shedding of the blood covers our sins. But even in the Roman and Greek world, they would offer sacrifices to their gods. It required the death of an animal. It was serious. Cost them something. 
And so the picture here is just as an individual would bring an animal, something that costs them something. In, in God's economy, I don't know how it was in the Greeks and Romans, it was supposed to be the best of your animals. It was supposed to be as perfect as possible. And you would give that to God. You wouldn't get it back. He says, give yourself to God that way. Present your bodies. He says, as a living sacrifice. That's where it's different, see? God doesn't ask us to commit suicide. <laughs> doesn't want us to commit suicide. We don't die. That's why he says it's a living sacrifice. Contrary to the death of the animal sacrifices, you're to present your body, but you're to continue on living. But you know what? Sometimes living as a sacrifice is harder than dying as one. So what do you mean? I don't know if you've ever wrestled with the, the concept of, could I ever die for Jesus? If I was ever in a situation, and we don't face that in our country, in our culture, not on a, on a regular basis, not, not any normalcy, but in other places, in other times in history, believers in Jesus Christ often faced death because they had chosen to follow Jesus. They're called martyrs. I don't know if you ever thought of that. If I was living in a different culture, a different time, and I was following Jesus, would I be able to die for Jesus. I happen to believe that if we're ever put in that position, if we really have a relationship with God, he'll give us what we need to make it possible for us to do that, to not deny our faith. But, you know, a much more important question for us especially is not would you be willing to die for Jesus, but are you willing to live for Jesus? That's what it's all about. It's dedication, presenting your bodies. And and it says bodies, but that was just a way of saying who you are. You know, everything that you are is encompassed in this body. So he's saying your body and everything that's in it, your spirit, your soul, everything that makes up your being, your thoughts, your emotions, your motives, your attitudes, the actions and the words and the things that come out of it, everything that you are, give it to God. He says, it's a living sacrifice. He says, it's holy. Uh, Holy's got this word like, oh, I can do this, I can't do that. that." No, holy just means to be set apart. It's set apart to God and for his service. And he says, this is acceptable to him. Paul's already written about this a little bit in Romans chapter 6, as I mentioned a few moments ago, when he was talking about now that we've surrendered our lives to Christ, we need to live for him. You know, don't, don't, don't keep living for the junk that's out there in the world. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, he says, do not present your members. He's talking about your body and the different parts of your body. You know, we do all kinds of stuff with our hands, our feet, our ears. Our, you know, the different parts of your body and who you are as a person. Don't present your members of your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. In other words, he says, don't surrender yourself over to sin to do all kinds of ungodly stuff. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. You make that choice. You make that dedication. Dedicate your life to serve God and what's right and not to serve sin. And this goes back to another theme that we've talked about many times, and it's all through the Bible. God said it in the Old Testament. Jesus said it in the New Testament. Paul said it. James said it. When somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important thing in all of God's law? What's the most important thing that we can do? He says, the first and main commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's just another way of putting it. Surrender yourself to God. God, I'm all yours. Here I am, whatever you want. I dedicate, I give, I present myself, my body, everything it contains to you as a sacrifice. It's yours, Lord. I want to love you with everything I've got. I've heard a story, I've actually heard a couple different versions of it, and I can't, I I don't have any problem believing it, but I heard the story of a a little boy in an African village, and, and the gospel had come to that village, and many people had surrendered their lives to Christ. And as the church began to grow and everything, someone came and they were preaching about how we need to give everything to Jesus. You know, and, and they were taking up an offering and there were people from the village that were bringing in and they, 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 you know, they didn't have much money. Some were putting in money, but there was not very much money in the village. So some people would bring what they had. It's all they had. There would be people that would bring food items, you know, some, some kind of corn or grain. There were those that would bring animals, chickens and goats. 
other things of value. And this little boy says, I want to give something to Jesus. I don't have anything. So he got inside the offering basket because it was really big to hold all this stuff. What a great picture. I don't know what I have to have, what I have to give, but I'm, I'm giving everything. It's, it's, uh, I'm climbing into that offering thing because it's, it's all yours, Lord. Now, this is an ongoing need. I know a lot of you in this building, and I know you've known the Lord and have loved and served the Lord for decades, just like I've had the privilege of doing for 52 years for me. But I don't know about you, but I've got to make this uh, uh, kind of a fresh commitment, a fresh dedication on a regular basis because I still have that sinful nature inside me that battles against the Spirit of God that keeps pulling me away from that commitment. And so I have to keep again over and over and over again making a new dedication. And the good news is that God accepts that. God understands. God wants to help us with all that stuff, but he understands Perhaps you've known that situation. You've got some kind of controlling sin or habit in your life and, and you truly do repent and you say, God, forgive me. And, and you do so good for so well and then you find yourself slipping back into it again. Or perhaps you make some other kind of commitment to God to do something or to be, be here or to, 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 to go through this certain thing to help you in your relationship with him or just to live life better for him. And before you know it, you, you're kind of letting up on your commitment. Can I tell you that our enemy, the thing that he would like us to do is to say, I can't do this, so I quit. But I believe we have a loving Heavenly Father who's looking down on us and says, you know what, just start over again. Just start over again. Make a new commitment. Make a new dedication. When we have a child that's just learning how to walk, or maybe they've been doing a little bit, but they don't have it perfect yet, and they're toddling over to us. What are we doing? We're cheering them on. And if we fall, if they fall down, do we go over and kick them and say, forget it. You didn't get it right. I'm not waiting on you anymore. No, no, no. We, we pick them up. We set them and say, come on, you can do it. You can do it. I believe our loving Heavenly Father is like that to us. So as you look at this first aspect of surrender, this dedication, perhaps, I, don't even, I wasn't even planning to spend this much time on this, maybe it's because there are some of you that are here, some of you that are watching online, you say, I've done that over and over and over, and I keep falling, and I keep failing, and I'm just tired. And maybe God's done with me. God is never done with us as, we're, as long as we're willing to repent and come back to Him. So the dedication... But can I tell you that one of the reasons we may struggle so much, one of the reasons why we may fall over and over and over again, or we have a hard time getting that victory is because we stop here and we don't do the other two things that Paul says to do. So we got dedication. And the second one is separation. Separation. That's where Paul tells us, do not be conformed to this world. There's a paraphrase of the New Testament that was written years ago by a Bible scholar by the last name of Phillips. And his translation says this, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I love that expression because it is so real. It's real to what Paul's saying here, but it's real to what we experience. We have a world around us that in everything that's said and done, intentional or unintentional, is trying to squeeze us into its mold. We've mentioned before when the word world is used in Scripture, sometimes it's talking about the world of people, sometimes it's talking about the physical world, but most of the time it's talking about a world system under the control of our enemy that is doing everything it can to pull us away from God, to keep us away from God. And that's what Paul is saying, is saying here. There is a world system out there. There are a number of forces, spiritual, and those spiritual forces are, are exerted in a number of physical and materialistic and relational ways, and they are all trying to squeeze you into the world's mold, which is anti-God. Now, I'm not trying to say that anybody and everything out there in the world, unless they're a firmly dedicated Christian, are anti-Christ, are, are terrible, evil people. No, I'm just saying our enemy is at work. In our world, our enemy is at work in and through people to different levels of degrees to try to squeeze us into his mold so we're not shaped into the mold that God has for us. When Paul says this, do not be conformed, in the original language it's actually saying, 
don't allow yourself to continue to be conformed, to continue to be squeezed. It's already constantly happening. Can I tell you, as we go through life, unless we are deliberately doing things to see that this doesn't happen, it's happening automatically. Unless you are doing deliberately things to make sure that you're not squeezed into the world's mold, that you're not stay, that you're staying connected with God, unless you're deliberately doing certain things, you are automatically being molded and shaped by the world that you are lived in. It's a constant battle. Perhaps you've heard that phrase, you know, the things we got to deal with are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's exactly so. You've got the world. I just described that. You've got the flesh. That's that part of us on the inside that even if we know God and we have a relationship with Jesus and we really do want to serve him, it still pulls us and draws us to do wrong, to do sin, to give ourselves over to sin. And then there is a devil, a real devil, a real spiritual being. He's not on the same level as God. He doesn't have the power of God, but he is very powerful. And as Scripture teaches, he is actively working against us. We find many discussions in Scripture, especially in Paul's writings, of this battle between our flesh and the Spirit, the flesh and the Spirit. There's a a whole section in Romans 7. I'm not going to read it. I encourage you to read it later. Romans 7, 14 to 24, where Paul is just confessing. He says, you know, I love the Lord. I'm paraphrasing here. I love the Lord. I want to do what's right. And I go along, I'm trying to do what's right. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling myself drawn to do so, something that's wrong. In fact, I end up doing something that's wrong. And it's something I really don't want to do, but I do it. But then I kind of do want to do it because my flesh wants to do it. But I don't want to do it because I'm a surrendered to God. And he goes back and forth about this battle that we face. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if I would say, have you ever faced that battle? If you're being honest, pretty much every single one of us would raise our hands, wanting to do the right thing, but being drawn and sometimes giving in to doing the wrong thing. And we face this battle back and forth. We have to make a decision. We're going to fight. We are not going to be conformed. There has to be that separation. And not in the sense that we leave this world. We can't leave this world until God takes us out of it either through death or his coming. But we have to make that separation by not being conformed, by not allowing the world to pressure us into its shape. Say, well, how do we do that? And that brings us to the third thing, transformation. Dedication, separation, transformation. He says, don't allow the world to squeeze you into a mold. Don't continue to allow the world to conform you. He says, instead, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, the battle that we face, it begins in our mind. It all begins in our mind. Our minds and what we allow into our minds are so important because whatever we allow into our minds is going to impact our lives. You know, I've heard as a reason or as an excuse for all kinds of things through the years, well, yeah, I know I watch that, I listen to this, but it doesn't really affect me. You are blinded. You are deceived. You are not believing the truth. You're believing a lie. Everything you take into your mind affects you to some degree and in some way. So if we don't want to be conformed by the world, we need to be transformed by renewing our mind because our mind has already been soaked in and is constantly, just by going through life, soaked in things of this world. There are things we can't even help. I mean, we can choose what we're going to read. We can choose where we're going to go on the internet. We can choose how much time and what we do with social media. We can choose a lot of those things. But we can't choose the billboards we see when we, walk, when we drive down the road. Now, we can choose to look away as quick as possible. We can't choose what we see in the people that appear before us or whatever. Again, we can make a choice to look away from. But there's so many things that we can't choose. When we're out there in whatever environment, at work or in the store or wherever, and there's music playing, we can't choose those things. So we're already bombarded with things we have no control over. So we need to take control over the things that we do have control over. That's where we have the separation and where we have the transformation. This battle begins in our minds. 
But God says he wants to transform us. That's the, the word there is metamorphosis. It's, it's like the, the caterpillar that wraps himself in the cocoon and he's metamorphosized. That may not be exactly the right way to say that. And becomes a, a butterfly. That God wants to change us from the inside out. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How does that happen? And here's where it gets really, really practical. Okay? And if this is your heart, this is what you really need to, to nail down. This is what you really need to grasp onto, okay? The first one is this. Stop putting junk into your mind. Stop putting junk into your mind. To use a diet metaphor, stop eating junk food. Now, I'm not what they used to call a clothesline preacher. Anybody you know what a clothesline preacher is? No? Okay. Back in the day, there used to be this phrase of clothesline preacher. And that was a preacher that was going to get up and tell you all the big, long list of all these things you can't do and all these things you can do. And I don't mean just what God's Word says. I'll tell you what God's Word says. But they'll give you a whole list of, uh, of the songs you're not supposed to listen to and the TV shows you're not supposed to watch and the books you're not supposed to read and the magazines, you know, and all these other things. My personal philosophy and idea of discipleship is let's preach and teach all day long on what God's Word says. And it says we need to live a holy life. We need to not be conformed to this world. We need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We need to get rid of anything that is filthy, sinful, and evil and its influence over us. But we need to grow in maturity to learn to determine what that is and what that isn't. You need to make some decisions. If you want to live this out, if you want to really be surrendered, not just sing it real pretty on Sunday mornings, you've got to make some decisions. Stop putting junk into your mind. This is something that even good Christians and even I wrestle, we do it deliberately. Because we want to watch that. We want to listen to this. We want to go there. We want to be involved in this. And there is some good in it and stuff, but man, it's got this other stuff. We make reasons. We make excuses. Stop putting junk into your mind. You know, if you really are serious or you want to be serious about living a lifestyle of worship, a life that is pleasing to God, and something we'd all say that we want if we're believers in Christ. And if you're not a believer in Christ, we're so glad you're here, you're watching online. God's got a great plan for your life if you just surrender to it. But apart from those things there, apart from being serious about a lifestyle of worship and pleasing God, if you want to grow to maturity, if you want to walk in victory over the things that get you down, it's going to take doing this. You're going to have to make some changes. Because the more that we just say, oh, it's not that big a deal. I, I can deal with whatever comes in and we just let whatever come in or we deliberately choose stuff that really it's not the best thing. We're not going to walk in victory. We're not going to grow to maturity. We're not going to experience the full aspect of God's power at work in our lives. And we're not going to be able to do all the things that God would love for us to be able to do that would bring great joy to us. We're just not going to be able to do it. Because we're trying to live in two worlds. Well, that's the negative side. The positive side is the second one. The second key is to spend time in prayer and meditation on God's word. You can stop putting the junk in. You gotta, you gotta put the good stuff in. You gotta, you gotta develop and maintain that relationship with God. You know, as much as we probably all would agree, prayer and time with God's Word is so important. It amazes me when, when I really get with some people and they're really honest about how little time people actually take for that. And usually as well, I just don't have the time. I'm so busy. But you know what? We have time for anything that's important to us. We've got time for social media. We've got time for our favorite TV shows. We got time for just chilling with our friends, and I'm not suggesting you get rid of any of those things. We've got time to eat. You say, well, I have to eat. Well, most of us don't need to eat near as much as we do. That's why we got this time of prayer and fasting. But anyway, one of the reasons. You know, we've got time for whatever is most important for us. Can we not make time to spend with our Heavenly Father, to hear from Him, to talk to Him, to get His help? To live a life that is pleasing to him. A life that's going to be pleasing to us too. Spend time in prayer and meditation on God's word. And I'll tell you what, there are so many scriptures I could read for that. 
I just want to read this one, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. And this is great for all the stuff we deal with in life too. He says, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He says, come to your heavenly Father. You can bring anything to him. Spend that time with him. And then fill your mind with all that is good and righteous and and, and pleasant. And that includes God's word. In fact, that's the main source of all those things. Spending time with God. Again, Paul talks a lot about this battle that we face trying to live this life. And can I just tell you, it is going to be a battle. Paul talks about spiritual warfare. It's something we're going to deal with until we're dead, or until we go to be with Jesus. But it's worth the effort. Paul talks about that so many times in so many ways. I want to read one more passage about that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, right before the passage, he's talking about how they were taught, since they've come to know Jesus, about various things. You were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, that, that world, that, that world form, that, you know, the thing that, the form the world's trying to squeeze you into. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Maybe think of uh, a number of years ago, I planted a garden And I did not have as much success with my garden as I do with my spiritual life, so I don't have a garden anymore. But I planted a garden because I wanted those homegrown tomatoes. That was the main. I love home ripe, homegrown tomatoes. If you have a garden and you love me, you might want to remember that. But anyway, I planted a garden. And when I first did it, I marked it out on the grass, and I dug that up, and I made sure that all the top layer of grass did not go back into the garden. I didn't want grass growing. You know, I took all that out. And uh, you know how it is around here when you build a house and stuff, they clean up around the place, but they put sod right over top of bricks. I mean, I put all, so there's all kinds of junk underneath the sod, you know, all the little rocks and pieces of concrete and nails and, 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 and shingle pieces. And I pulled all that stuff out and I dug down a foot and tried to get all the stuff that didn't belong in there out. And so then I put the dirt as pure as I could make it back in, and I mixed in cow manure, and I mixed in fertilizer, and all that kind of good stuff. And I planted the seeds, and as it grew, I didn't just kind of stand back and watch it. I had to get in there. I had to pull out the weeds and the grass that kept wanting to grow anyway. Had to deal with the bugs. Had to give it more fertilizer. You know, spray that miracle grow on it, so maybe there'd be a miracle. I needed a miracle because the bugs ate all my tomatoes. Bunch of you gave me some real practical advice of things you could try. None of it worked. Bought all the stuff in the store. None of it worked. I'd go out, there'd be a beautiful tomato, say, tomorrow it's going to be just right. And tomorrow, it was the perfect ripeness, but it had a whole bunch of holes in it. So like I said, I didn't have much success. But, but the point is that to have that garden, and hopefully those of you that have gardens have much more success than I did. There's stuff you've got to take out, and there's stuff you've got to put in. And the same thing is true with our lives. If we really want to please God, if we want to live a lifestyle of worship, we want everything that we say and do to be pleasing to God in an act of worship to Him. We've got to be surrendered to Him. We've got to make that decision, that dedication. We, 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 we've got to be willing to make that separation, to not allow the world to conform us, to fight against that process. And we've got to be willing to do the transformation. And to be honest with you, that's more up to God than it is to us. We have a part to play by doing the weeding and stuff. But God will do the work within us. The last question, I said the second one I was going to spend the most time, so this is very, very short also. What's the result of surrender? We already said that why should I surrender? It's because of God's mercies. But here's another reason. The result of surrender, I can know and do God's will, pleasing Him and pleasing myself. That's kind of the idea behind what Paul says here. 
when he says, if you do this, do not be conformed, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and pleasing. I can know and do God's will, pleasing him and pleasing myself. Now, there are, like I said, I know most of you in here, and those of you that are guests, we're so glad you're with us today. But I know most, if I were to ask you, have you ever started with, I want to know what God's will is? In fact, I've talked with a number of people, lots of people through, how can I know God's will? Okay? I, I have in me this, I want to do what pleases God. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to know what God's will is. And a lot of times when we ask that, we have a specific thing in mind, you know, about a job or school or a relationship or whatever. And those are all valid questions, things we need to seek God about. But what Paul is saying here, I believe, is that the best way to find out what God's will is, is to first of all surrender. And I would tell you that that is the most basic thing you can do. If you come to God and say, God, here I am. I'm surrendered to you. I am dedicated to you. I'm going to separate myself from the things in this world that are going to keep me from you and tear me down and stuff. And I'm going to commit myself, you know, um, to doing those things that I can draw closer to you and, and become all that you want to do. I want to please you. When you are in that position and you are taking in God's word and you're doing everything you can to live according to God's word, finding God's will is relatively easy because you're already doing the hardest part. You're already doing the hardest part. He says, by testing, you may discern the will of God. That means you will learn, you will know, you will experience with the purpose of living it out, and it will be revealed to you. And he describes God's will with three words. He says, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Well, who is it good, acceptable, and perfect for? For God or for me? And it's interesting, as I studied this passage again this last week, and I got a bunch of commentaries and all that kind of stuff, you would find both those things mentioned because I believe both are true. God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect to God because it's his will. God's will is what's good in God's eyes. God's will is what's acceptable. It's acceptable to God. God's will is perfect because it's established by God. This is what he wants. But can I tell you that God's will for my life and God's will for your life is what is good, acceptable, and perfect for you. I've said this so many times. God's plan for you is much better than any plan that you can come up with for yourself. But we resist. Why do we resist? There's probably a lot of different reasons, but I think there are two main reasons we resist really submitting to God's will. Number one, we're afraid of what he's going to ask us to do. It's kind of an ongoing joke in my youth group when I was growing up. Experienced at some at Bible college of be careful about really submitting to God. He may call you to be a missionary to Africa. You know? You know what? The people God calls to be missionaries to Africa, they have such joy in their life because they're following what God has called them to do and what he's birthed in their heart to do. So sometimes we resist because we're afraid of what God might ask us to do. But another reason is because we don't want to give up control. We want to be in control. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, where I want to do it. And you know what? We can make that choice. We can do it. You know, there's a lot of destruction that comes from that kind of a lifestyle. So when we say that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect, I want to tell you, God's plan for you is much better than any plan you can come up with, and His plan for you is good. And if you live it out, it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. We live in a sinful, fallen world. There's going to be difficulties, pain, sorrow, suffering, but it's going to be the best it can be under the circumstances because God has promised to help you through, and He can, like we talk about in Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses, He can take anything bad and He can bring good out of it. It'll be perfect for you. And I've said this any number of times through the years. I'm going to wrap it up with this. I had the privilege of coming to know Jesus Christ when I was 10 years old. 52 years ago. And I decided I wanted to try to live this way. And I've never lived it perfectly. I've had my ups and downs. I've had my problems. I never did do what some people do. 
And this is not to condemn them, but where I kind of started following Jesus, I said, I'm going to go do my own thing for a while and then come back. I never did that. I just, I just always lived trying to do what God wanted me to do. And because of that, I didn't do a lot of things. I was never involved in sexual immorality. I was never involved in drugs. I was never involved in other kind of bondage things in in life. But I want to tell you something. I can look back now at 62 years of age on those 52 years and say, I have no regrets for any choices I made not to do things the way the world said to do it, but instead to try to do it the way God said to do it. Because the life I've had trying to live for Jesus has been so much better than any life I could imagine going my own way or pursuing the things of the world. I just throw that out there for some who may be wrestling with, yeah, but that stuff out there in the world looks so good. Yeah, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but there's always consequences. I came across this statement this last week and it's not an easy one to swallow and that is that God doesn't ask for much he really doesn't ask for much he asks for everything he asks for everything what will it be for you what is it that you want what is it that you want to live out I challenge you today surrender to God to say no to yourself and to the world, to say yes to God, that ongoing commitment and process is going to just keep on going on and on because God's goodness to us and what's best for us is what we'll experience. All of a surrendered life is an act of worship to God. As I said, this is the foundation of everything else we're talking about this, this month. If we surrender to God, then everything we do, we do for Him because we love Him and we want to please Him. We want to obey Him. And it becomes an act of worship. And we're going to break that down a little bit more in the weeks to come. But today as we wrap this up, how do we apply this? Well, first of all, I would say that if you are here today or you're watching online and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never put your trust in Him for your salvation. Maybe you've heard the truth before. Maybe today was the first day when I said we're all sinners separated from God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We need to surrender to Him. We need to accept that, put our trust and hope in that, and begin to live for Him, and He will forgive us. Maybe today is the day you need to make that dedication for the first time. And if that's so, and you're watching online, I communicate with me. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you about that. But if you're here today, in just a moment, we're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to sing a song of surrender. Myself, my wife, our elders, we've got a number of elders out sick, but the elders that are here will be down here. If there's any other prayer team members, you've been through the training, you want to come down, you can be down here too. But if you need to, you want to surrender your life to Christ, come down. We will pray with you to do that. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I've done that, but I've made a mess of things, and I need to make a new commitment. That's how you respond today. Make a new commitment. Maybe as you've gone through God's Word, God's spoken to your heart about some stuff you've got to get out of your life. You've been excusing it. You've been justifying it, whatever. I've not told you what it is. I told you I'm not a clothesline preacher, but God's Holy Spirit has full power to do that. His Word convicts, and you know there's something in your life that needs to go. I can't make it go for you. But the way you could respond today before you leave is to talk to God about it and say, God, I want to get that out. I need your help. What can I do? How can I do that? Maybe there's some stuff that needs to come in. Maybe you say, you know what, Pastor? I love Jesus. I'm not caught up in some big lifestyle of sin or anything, but I'm just not really spending time with God like I should. You know, I'm just not really feeding myself like I should. I just really need to get back into that. I need to get more into that. And maybe that's the way you need to respond. But I'm going to invite you to stand. Invite our elders, if there's any other prayer team members that are here that you want to come. Our worship team is going to lead us in some music that talks about surrender. And the singing of the song can be part of that, your response to this message. If you want to come down and pray with one of us, not just to commit your life or recommit your life, but if you've got some other need, you need healing, 
You need help with a relationship or finances. You want somebody to pray with you. There's somebody you love or care about needs prayer. You want us to join with you. You can come during this time. We'll pray with you about that. If you want to come down and find a place to pray apart from us, you're welcome to do that. But let's take the next couple of moments to respond to what God has said. And then in a little bit, either myself or my wife will come back to close in service and prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a challenging word for us to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. I want to ask each of you today, if this message is spoken to your heart, and you would say, by the raising of your hand, I want to be fully, freshly surrendered to Jesus Christ. I know it's not going to be easy, but I know God is going to help me. I'm raising my hand. Would you raise your hand if that is really you? You want to be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ for 2023 and going forward. I'm going to pray. God to bless you, to strengthen you, to cause you to hunger after thirst and righteousness for his name's sake. Father God, I thank you for every man, every woman, every teenager, every boy, every girl under the sound of my voice. God, you see the many hands that are raised. My hand is raised and I'm asking you, oh God, for a fresh surrender in each one of us to be fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. God, help us to be hungry, to fill ourselves up with more and more of you, Lord God. Help us to take time, take time to seek your face, to talk with you about the good things, the bad things, the frustrating things, the joyful things. Help us take time to read your word and apply it to our lives. Help us to be your light shining in this dark world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I speak blessings over you as you come and go. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Be blessed. Go into the mission field. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 